superstars on the stump. What is Lin-Manuel Miranda doing here? What is Lin-Manuel Miranda doing here? Indeed. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If this is your first time listening to the Politically Georgia podcast, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. What a day, what a week. Patricia, in the last 24 hours, (laughs) I think I've seen all four candidates. Yeah, I've seen all four candidates for the top offices all across the state. And we've also had a, a nice, uh, an interesting, uh, not run-in, but but an interesting overlap with Kelly Leffler from the last campaign. So super busy on the campaign trail right now. Yes, it's that time of year. You know, it just feels like every, like every campaign bus has its foot on the gas pedal and it's just fumes, leaving everybody in the fumes. You just have to race to catch up with them and see, and see who can get, but they're all out. I mean, it used to be, um, there would be, you know, one group out, another group out, you could kind of catch everybody over the course of several days. And now it really does feel like they're all out all day seeing voters and getting their messages out there. So it's a great time of year, but really, really, it's it's more than hectic. It's kind of like frenetic. It's crazy. The campaign buses are fueled up, ready to go. They're all around the state. Stacey Abrams, I think, was the last candidate to actually kind of launch her bus tour. She launched it earlier this week at a Mexican eatery in town Atlanta, which is an interesting, fun event to go to. I did not bring my kid to that event, but if you had brought your kids to that event, they could get a, a tour of the bus. I did bring my youngest daughter to Lin-Manuel Miranda, who we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. But the interesting thing about this t- time of the year in the campaigns is that the events are getting more, in, you know, they have to be more dynamic to attract folks, right? So there's still parking a lot of events that are at strip malls and things like that. But you're also seeing events at local bars, at restaurants, at neat venues. Lots of time there's free food, free drinks, all that. So it's, you know, candidates are pulling out all the stops to try to bring out people to their to their venues. It's all the bells and whistles. We also start to see some big names. And I love the difference between the big names between the Democrats, which are invariably like famous entertainers. And then the Republicans is, you know, the newest Republican senator from Kansas. <laughs> but <you laughs> and know, or- for the people, for your Fox News aficionados, they, they know who those people are, too. Lindsey Graham certainly is making himself comfortable in the state as well. So that's the Republicans um, superstar, I guess, is Lindsey Graham. But li- he turns out an audience. He sure does get those people out there, though. On a whole crew of 2024 potential candidates, too. So coming up on today's episodes, we're going to talk more about that, the celebrity appeal, Herschel Walker's badge of honor, Kelly Leffler's text messages. We'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, and we'll do our who's up and who's down for the week. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. 
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Let's talk about star power, because, you know, in a sense, we're seeing a redux of 2018. You know, in the final days of 2018, both Oprah Winfrey and former President Barack Obama came to Georgia to stump for Stacey Abrams against Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp had then Vice President Mike Pence to kind of counter that. But look, this was one of those events that Oprah kind of outshone everyone. I mean, I remember staffers who didn't remotely cover politics with the AJC saying, hey, can I, uh, can I, you want me, you want to help cover that event? I remember the tickets sold out. You know, this was an in-person event. The tickets sold out within, it seemed like a few hours. That interest was so high and they had a limit press pool. I didn't even cover it. I was, I think I was with Mike Pence somewhere up in North Georgia. But, you know, that shows you the sort of celebrity appeal and how much interest that should, that reminds you why the candidates want these events. This is just a virtual event with Oprah Winfrey um, on Thursday night, but it will still be, Something that attracts donations, attracts interest, attracts attention to Stacey Abrams' campaign. Yeah, and it just sort of says to the world, we've got a lot going on. Nobody worry. We have people coming in. We have people who you've heard of who want to come be with us and stump with us. And uh, Democrats have gone back to Oprah time and time again. She's just a huge draw. People love her. They're also going to have Barack Obama come in for Stacey Abrams. And earlier this week, Lynn Manuel Miranda was here for Raphael Warnock and for Stacey Abrams. They both did their own separate events. But it is a way to, you know, first of all, just get earned media. But then also, as you said, they're just pulling out all the bells and whistles and reaching out to any community that they can to get some extra attention. They really want to get kind of the lower information voters, the people who aren't sitting at home um, in front of a TV or a computer screen all day, every day. They really just need, they just want to shake it up and get, you know, get in front of as many people as possible. And, you know, when Hamilton says he'll come to town, you're like, totally, that's just fun. You know, yes, we'll do that. When he was in town in Atlanta, it's interesting, you know, he said, hey, I, I've spent a lot of time down here. He debuted one of his musicals at the Alliance Theater. He said he used to uh, spend quite a bit of time in the area. And so, you know, tried to connect with the voters there. And then really was also, it was a it was an event for Warnock pitched to Latino voters. Mm-hmm. And he um, made the real case that this is the exact group that, uh, that he's there to talk to. Let's listen to Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know, you hate to be the guy that quotes the lyric from the band, but history has its eyes on you. <laughs> and we are looking at this election and we have seen uh, in previous uh, elections how Atlanta has become the poster child for suppressive voting practices. That's not going to happen this time. And he continued on. You guys are voting at double the rate since early voting started. Latinos are voting at twice the pace they were in previous elections. And we're going to show up, Latinos and Latinas are going to show up for Senator Warnock in this election. And I'm proud to stand with you. Let's set the scene too, Patricia. This was at Georgia Beer Garden, right near downtown Atlanta, right off Edgewood. Um, Great venue, mostly serves, if not all, most Georgia native beers. And this was a packed crowd. 
I mean, hundreds of folks kind of piled into a very tight area, mostly Latino, but, but many other people too, who weren't part of the Latino community, the Hispanic community. And they were there to hear Lemuel Miranda, you know, and he was making this targeted pitch, not just to Hispanic voters, but mostly to Hispanic voters, but also just to drive early voting turnout. Because as we've talked about in previous shows, early voting turnout is crucial for Democrats. They're trying to bank as many votes as possible, really too, strategically, because, you know, once they get the low hanging fruit off the off the branches, so to speak, they can go after the lower propensity voters, the less likely voters. They can go shift some of the resources who are knocking on the doors of the most likely Democratic voters who have yet to cast their ballots and then go after the undecideds or the voters who are still, you know, who you skip midterms but vote in re- presidential elections. Yeah, it was so interesting, though, when he said Latinos are turning out in larger numbers. What I think is different this election cycle is that according to our polling, they're about evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. And in that Senate race, we saw some data, and, and it's just it's a single poll, so you know we don't want to hang our hat on it, but it said that uh, Latinos are breaking slightly more for Herschel Walker than for Raphael Warnock. I mean, so if Latino voters are coming out in large numbers, that may not be a guarantee, as it was in the past, that that is going to be disproportionately for Democrats. And so that is really the challenge that they've got. So that's why they need to have as many targeted ways as possible to make the case to those Latinos, not just don't just vote, vote for Stacey Abrams and uh, Raphael Warnock. I think also all of these kind of famous faces coming to town. It also really highlights the person who's not coming to town, who is Joe Biden. And uh, as many famous faces as the Democrats are getting, the president is not, it's not that he's not welcome here, but it's that I think it's unclear how much good it would do if he came here. He's still got approval ratings below 40%. That's not great. You know, uh, huge rallies have never been his scene. You know, 2020, the pandemic seemed to kind of coincide with his preferred method of campaigning anyway, which is not getting out in front of gigantic rallies. And so it's unusual to be in a midterm election that is based so much on the president and then the president himself is not coming to the state so far. Yeah. And there's that split. Stacey Abrams openly welcomes the president to come. You know, she said it several times, including right after she cast her early ballot on Thursday, she said, I I welcome President Biden. You know, it's hard to coordinate with his schedule, but she'd be more than happy to see him come. Whereas uh, Senator Warnock still continues to kind of keep the president at arm's length. Even he even brought it up at the event with Lin-Manuel Miranda, when he, without even prompting, started talking about why he would not answer the question about whether or not he wanted Biden to run in 2024. Let's listen. They keep asking me, you know, about 2024, and I think they don't believe me when I'm, he's just giving, I I mean it when I say don't, why are you asking me about 2024? Mm. We got folk who need help right now in 2022, and I'm honored to represent them right now. And Patricia, of course, there's a risk for Democrats to allow, to welcome all these celebrities, not Joe Biden per se, that's a different story, but also Oprah, Lin-Manuel Miranda, whoever else, Will Ferrell, whoever else might might come or might post videos from, from here on out because Republicans have tried to paint Democrats as the party of Hollywood, as the party of outside, out, out of the state influence of California, New York, of East and West Coast liberals, right? And so every time they do that, you see um, attacks, predictable attacks, but yet attacks on Democrats currying favor with Hollywood. Well, and I think uh, just this week, 
Brian Kemp is out with a new ad where he's talking about Georgia's decision, his decision really, to reopen COVID earlier than any other state. And he specifically says, we rejected the values of California and New York and Stacey Abrams and uh, opened early because we believe that was the right thing to do. So he you know, specifically goes after California and New York. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is from New York, indeed. And Oprah's from California, so it does reinforce that. Um, you know, but listen, Georgians who want to see Oprah just aren't going to care. They're not going to care where she's from. They just care that she's Oprah. Um, I think one thing to also keep in mind, though, and just to uh, to sort of set expectations, I mean, midterm election years are a bloodbath for most parties. In 2010, Democrats lost 63 House seats to the Republicans. In 2018, when Donald Trump was president, Republicans lost 40 seats to the Democrats. So these have been really, really huge, huge um, momentous occasions when the party in power tends to really lose a lot of seats. Oh, and we should be clear too, Patricia, the Republicans have their own luminaries they rely on. They might not be celebrities, but they are folks like Len Youngkin, the governor of Virginia. I wouldn't be shocked to see Mike Pence come back down here. He was down here for a fundraiser just the other day. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy was down here this week. We've seen Lindsey Graham, as you mentioned. We've seen Senators Tim Scott and Rick Scott. We saw Ronna Romney McDaniel, the national RNC chair, was in Macon with Herschel Walker on Thursday. So we've seen plenty of Republican big names, but they're, they tend to be the political type. Sure. And Hannity, of course. Hannity came into town for Herschel Walker, um, did an entire hour of a town hall that broadcast on Fox News. I mean, that's kind of the best of all worlds to have your uh, local celebrity with Sean Hannity. Also, Tim Scott was there. I think this is a good sign that uh, Tim Scott is more than likely starting to raise his national profile by coming over, over to Georgia to campaign with Herschel Walker. But then they can just turn around and put it on Fox News and get millions of eyeballs on it. So that is the best case scenario for any kind of earned media bring the host to town and then have the host show the whole thing on Fox News that that night. That's exactly how they want to do it. Yeah, free advertising for about an hour. Let's shift gears real quick and talk about Stacey Abrams. Got kind of her viral moment on MSNBC when she talked about abortion and the economy. Let's listen. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't Divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are, it's important for us to have both and conversations. Well, Patricia, Stacey Abrams has tried to tie the shaky economy to the Republican-backed anti-abortion law that took effect a few months ago. But I haven't heard her make that argument quite the way she did on MSNBC this week. You know, I've heard her link that. Do you remember the um, we went to the event that was in downtown uh, and it was sort of a pitch to all of the Democratic kind of bigwigs? It was a policy speech. It was her very long policy speech. And she framed she it was kind of going through every abortion is an economic issue. And she included abortion in that list uh, that abortion is a economic issue because at that time she was saying because the number of women in poverty it almost coincides with access to abortion because women, if they are having unwanted pregnancies and keeping those pregnancies, mm-hmm. uh, not able to be in the workforce, um, not able to pay for childcare. Uh, of course, these are we're talking about women uh, kind of on the margins. But so I've heard her link abortion and the economy before. I have never heard her asked about wages and livability and inflation. 
I've never heard her then inject abortion into the answer to a question about inflation and sort of the livability uh, of the kind of the shrinking paycheck that people are feeling. It was part of a question from Mike Barnacle when he said, uh, I know you think abortion is a big issue, but we all know that the economy is the biggest issue. So I think she was working to like link those two answers together. But we saw, I mean, within moments, Republicans at every level from the RNC, from the um, from the Republican governors, local Republicans, uh, head of the state GOP, blasted out that clip with uh, just ferocious attack on her for saying that. I think they really felt like that was the exact wrong thing to say, the exact wrong way to say it. Um, Megan Hansen posted uh, something to Twitter of her voting. She said, I voted today because I saw what Stacey Abrams said. Um, of course, she was going to vote Republican she anyway. Was but vote she vote said, Republican anyway. But sure. she said she She's went to vote Republican that day <laughs> because she was so incensed by by the answer. And so it was. It's something that Republicans have really had a field day with um, because it was absolutely not, not the answer to the question that was asked. Um, we've heard her kind of link them before, but for your average bear, I think it was um, confusing and, and you know for some people obviously offensive. And shortly after she cast her early ballot. On Thursday, Stacey Abrams was asked about the remark. Here's what she said. I can tell you that reproductive choices are indeed economic choices. They are moral choices. They are medical choices. And they are not choices that should be relegated to the confines of men in politics telling us who we are and what we can do with our bodies. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents. Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders at the AJC. We're also two of the authors of The Morning Jolt, which we write every night and every morning. We think The Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And Patricia, in Friday's Jolt, we'll have a little bit more of the scene and the aftermath of Herschel Walker's event in Macon on Thursday, where he doubled down on the, the, the honorary badge, which has become a Democratic meme. But something that Herschel Walker is, shall we say, using as a badge of honor right now. But um. <laughs> But up. Yes. This is what Herschel Walker said just the other day, standing next to the Johnson County Sheriff. That is the sheriff of his home county in East Georgia. 
Hi, this is Herschel Walker. This is the badge I flashed at the debate, and this is my sheriff, Sheriff Rowley. Yes, if Herschel's badge is a prop, then I guess this badge I wear every day to protect the citizen, I guess it's a prop also. But these are real badges, and I gave this to my friend for all he's done for this country and this county. And let me tell you, I'm always, always stand behind our men and women in blue. So God bless. Yes. So Patricia, that was the that was the prelude to what happened in Macon, where shortly after he took the stage, this was after Rick Scott spoke and after several other U.S. senators spoke and after Ronna Romney McDaniel spoke, he took the stage and just as he started speaking, a phalanx of sheriffs, local sheriffs, stood behind him proudly. Uh, standing stone-faced, but proudly holding up their badges as well. Let's listen. And I also got to acknowledge some superheroes behind me. These are the sheriffs that we got to get behind and support. And I want you guys to know, uh, I'm going to always support them. I'm going to always support them. And I want to thank them for all what they do. Patricia, what do you make of all this? So a couple things, you know, I think the Democrats need to not get too far over their skis on this and find themselves making fun of Herschel Walker standing in front of a dozen sheriffs who all clearly support him. I don't think that's a great look either. They do not want to go into that. Uh, I don't want to call it a trap, but (laughs) you don't want to go there. Don't don't do that. Um, However, I think it's really important also to remember the context of what this is all about. First of all, Herschel Walker, over many years, definitely did volunteer time with the Cobb County Sheriff's Office. He would go speak to people in the jail. He would go give pep talks to the officers. He's so famous. Obviously, that was fun for everybody. Um, He was not a member of law enforcement, however. And uh, there was a moment in the early 2000s in Texas when he was found with a firearm and he said, I'm a member of law enforcement and pulled out one of his badges. Um, He, of course, is not a member of law enforcement. Um, In other settings, in more casual settings, giving motivational speeches, he has said, I was a member of the FBI. Like, didn't you know that? Uh, and the soldiers are kind of like, no, we know you're not a member of the FBI. <laughs> so it's like a little strange, a little strange. Um, so there's there are all kinds of reasons why he, why they feel like this is good territory for Herschel Walker to be in because he wants to be out there supporting sheriffs. Sheriffs want the support. He did indeed volunteer, and I'm sure he's done that with many different sheriff's departments and police departments around the state, volunteer and go give pep talks and you're doing greats. But he is not a member of law enforcement, although he certainly has represented himself in that way before, and which is problematic. So, you know, I think there's gray area all over this one. I don't quite understand the concept. I do believe we've heard he's giving out police badges at a fundraiser soon near you, which I find extremely strange. Yeah, it's, it's definitely become a calling card for his campaign. Multiple events since that debate, he's opened his speeches by holding up that honorary badge and getting a round of applause or laughter, but, but, you know, sort of complimentary laughter, not jeering laughter from his Republican supporters, which is not a surprise, but I I guess I'm surprised they're leaning into it as much as they are. And as you mentioned, NBC news has reported that they plan to give out replica badges as a fundraising sort of token for folks who give 50 bucks or whatever it is at different uh, rallies. I haven't seen that quite yet, but We'll stay tuned. Patricia, before we go into our listener mailbag, we'll talk about one more 
big story this week involving a former U.S. senator. This was a stra- one of the stranger stories we've ever covered at the AJC, but we came into possession of a trove of personal text messages that former Senator Kelly Leffler sent to a number of aides and activists and other lawmakers and other officials between her November election and November 2020 when she got into a runoff against now Senator Raphael Warnock and the shortly aftermath of the January 6th insurrection. And this was not a bunch of texts about her dinner plans or you know, what she was going out to do that night with her family or whatever it was. These were only texts about, for the most part, uh, the events leading up to January 6th and the January 5th runoff, of course, and her own decisions surrounding whether or not to agree with Donald Trump's efforts to overturn his election defeat. And very fascinating texts that kind of give an inside view, a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, of Kelly Leffler's thinking and also the pressure on the then Republican senator over how to deal with Donald Trump. You know, and there was one telling moment to me, at least, where she was basically up in the air about deciding whether or not to formally vote to block the Electoral College certification of Joe Biden. And we all know she reversed course after the insurrection. But at this point, this was right before the January 5th runoff. And she was getting texts from Republicans saying, essentially, you've got to do this. This will get North Georgia on board. This will energize Republicans. There's a big fear that Donald Trump could kind of turn his back on her. And so she agreed to do it and a polished statement out there. And she says in one of the texts, I hope Donald Trump retweets this. I'm paraphrasing. But I hope Donald Trump retweets this or else I'll look, I'll look stupid out there. And her aides quickly said, don't worry, he's going to retweet this. Tag him just to be sure. Call him just to be sure. But he's going to retweet this. And that just speaks to the nervousness, the anxiety, and also the escalating levels of pressure on Kelly Leffler. You know, she had already before that done a series of things that she thought would appease and placate Donald Trump. But of course, he set an ever higher bar up into the point where basically he was pushing her and she at first initially agreed um, to literally vote to block Georgia's true and fair election. Yes. I mean, this was amazing. I did think all of the machinations behind getting Donald Trump to retweet something for a U.S. senator were, <laughs> were just fascinating. You know, uh, you don't think about all of that going on behind the scenes, but it very clearly did go on behind the scenes on how important it was to get that retweet so that it signaled his support for anything any senator was out there doing. There was also a lot, you know, obviously these were very candid texts because they were private at the time. And um, her staff made it clear that they were concerned that Donald Trump was making it hard to get voters back out to the polls after the elections Mm -hmm. because he was saying, this is rigged and stolen. The system, this entire system is a mess. And they were seeing that it was depressing people's willingness to go back out and vote in the runoff elections, even for two Republican senators. So that was an insight. They very clearly knew it was happening. They, they saw it unfolding in front of them, and they were just trying to find a way out of it. Um, I also thought it was amazing the amount of pressure that Marjorie Taylor Greene was putting on Kelly Loeffler as somebody who wasn't even yet in Congress. She had only just been elected and was reaching out to Kelly Loeffler and saying, we're having a meeting at the White House. You should be there. And then Kelly Loeffler and her staff would find a way not to be there and say, uh, tell her you're with Ivanka all day. Um, <laughs> and of course, she was in very close touch with Ivanka Trump. 
And uh, Ivanka saying thank you for all of your support, you know, basically for her dad. And then um, just the intense pressure and then the about face on January 6th. She very clearly had one plan uh, to object to those electoral votes. And then just as soon as January 6th happened, her aides were coming to her and saying, this is not what we signed up for. This history will not judge this well. You cannot, you can't do this. And, um, you know, by then she had lost her election and obviously made a decision that day in that moment to reverse course. And she was out there on an island though, you know, a lot of other uh, Republican senators, including Ted Cruz, went ahead and objected anyway. And uh, there was clear knowledge or uh, and sort of an acknowledgement that other senators had immediate political plans that they wanted to, that they were focused on, including Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. And that if she wanted to maintain her long-term viability as a public figure, that it would be a mistake to do that. So uh, just an, an immense amount of pressure and, and a really fascinating look kind of behind the curtain. Okay, Shani B, let us now go to one of our favorite, our favorite segment. I can safely say this is our favorite segment and our favorite theme music. Listener Mailbag. That just puts a pep in my step. Oh, and Greg Makes me want to read this. some mail and listen <laughs> yeah. to some voicemail. And Greg is now dancing. <laughs> Greg is now dancing. <laughs> oh, man. White man overbite in full force here. Well, as a reminder, you, you, even you, Patricia, you can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Thank you. Leave a question. And we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. And maybe even I'll dance. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Shaney B., we have a packed listener mailbag. It's stuffed to the brim. And the calls have just been fantastic. This uh, first question actually dates back to Friday. This is a, a call from Donnell with a question about Herschel Walker after his debate performance in Savannah. I wanted to kind of ask a follow-up question about Savannah on uh, Friday night. Did you, did, do either Greg or Patricia believe that Herschel Walker got any new supporters following the debate? He, he actually did well. And I'm wondering if someone was leaning on one way and decided to go with him, despite all the other stuff we've heard, or did his performance kind of solidify his base? I'd love to uh, hear their thoughts on that. Darnell, Thank you for that great question. I think he probably did both. I think he uh, solidified his base, who were solid. Let's let's just <laughs> admit that. Let's just say that. Um, I think that there were Republicans on the fence about Herschel Walker really needed to see something from him to show that he could hold his own against Raphael Warnock, hold his own against a U.S. senator on a very big stage under bright lights. And I think he really did that. You know, there were some some hiccups in his performance, as there were in Raphael Warnock's as well. But I think I, I talked to a number of Republicans who were like, wow, OK, I'm OK with him now. I'm OK with him now. The Republicans have not been particularly bothered by the accusations uh, that he's paid for an abortion. It has not been a deal breaker that he was abusive to his wife in the past. His explanations have satisfied those Republicans. But they just kind of didn't think he could do the job. They've, they've never seen him in any capacity other than being a famous football player. So I think that performance on Friday night gave them a lot to work with. And they were these are Republicans. They want to vote Republican, but they were like, I just don't know if I can do it. And after seeing Walker on the stage, they do think they can do it. 
Yeah, I don't think Donnell, thanks for the questions. I don't think that the um the mission here was to expand the electorate, right? I don't think he was necessarily aiming to go get a bunch of new voters. I think that what Patricia said was right, that he was going in there trying to solidify those wavering Republicans who were indicating they were going to vote for Raphael Warnock or stay home entirely or vote for the Libertarian. And um, that's what he said to do. And, 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 you know, at least some anecdotal evidence shows that he might have done, gone a long way in doing that. Okay, Shani B, let's hear caller number two. Now, I, I, I do have a rule here on the uh, listener mailbag segment of Politically Georgia, and that is that you must leave us your name. And if you don't, I give you one. <laughs> so our next caller is Wolfgang. And Wolfgang noticed that there's something missing this campaign season. Hey, Greg and Patricia. Um, really enjoy the show. I've uh, been really enjoying every episode I've been listening to. I think I've caught every one of them so far. Um, I was curious about uh, the lack of political signage in Atlanta. Um, I don't know if this is just due to my area I'm in, which is people call it the Upper West Side. And I, just, just a surprising lack of signage for political candidates. Has anyone else noticed this or has this been a topic of discussion? Uh, anyways, thanks for your podcast. Look forward to hearing more. Wolfgang. Let's keep your streak going. I can't believe you've listened to every episode. I love <laughs> this it. Podcast. That's amazing. Um, yes, you know what? I will agree with you. In 2020, I was seeing signs in people's yards who didn't typically have signs. And I would also see signs in people's yards who were, it, it was not the candidate I thought they were going to be supporting. And I'll say specifically, I saw a lot of Joe Biden signs in 2020 of homes that I and pretty sure were Republicans. I think people felt very um, sort of, uh, I don't want to say cold, like it was not a spiritual moment, but they felt like they really wanted to express themselves, express themselves against Donald Trump. Or some people, obviously, if you drive around rural Georgia, there's still a bunch of Trump signs around, so they want to express themselves for Donald Trump. Um, but I don't see those. Those yards are empty this year. I don't know if it's because no one's excited about the candidates. I don't know if it's because it's a midterm election year. Um, you will go past the one like super fan who has like seven signs in their yard and it's everybody from agriculture commissioner to the state senator to the state house member, you know, the committee, the county commission. So you've got your super fans out there. But I have also noticed um, in people's yards, not as many signs, but on street corners, you know, the campaign volunteers are just shoving them all on street corners if they can't get away to people. I just think it also depends on the neighborhood. My neighborhood, we even had a state representative who lived in my neighborhood. And his house, I don't think, even had a sign for him or any other candidates. I can't remember exactly, but I know that there's very few signs in our neighborhood, even though it's a very politically active neighborhood that has fundraisers for different candidates and hosts local mayoral candidates and all that good stuff. Um, But you walk around you know, a neighborhood in Decatur or Inman Park, and you might think there's no way Stacey Abrams can ever lose because, you know, there's there's fields awash with per blue signs. And, and same thing as Patricia mentioned up in parts of rural Georgia or North Georgia, where you see, you know, you still have Donald Trump flags flying everywhere. Um, there's even Donald Trump stores in some parts. Um, I was whitewater rafting not long ago and I passed by two, not one, but in two Georgia? Donald Trump stores. In Georgia? Uh, it was in Georgia on the way to Tennessee. I feel like so I one of them might have been there. in Tennessee. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. It's a good, it's a good story. <laughs> um, it could be a fun after the election column. I love it. Yeah, Let me go you. with you. Okay, good. Um, 
Although whitewater rafting season is now over, alas. So yeah, you know, and, and there's been different political science data about whether or not signs are even effective. Certainly, you know, you see a candidate's name, certainly campaigns at the Herschel Walker rally I was at earlier today. There was a big, huge stack of them they were giving out to all the, the folks there. Um, it's, it's a way of looking at an endorsement from not just a big name figure like Oprah or Mike Pence, but your neighbor. And so it could reinforce that idea, but also folks can tune them out. So um, but they're certainly not going away, even if even if there's anecdotal evidence they're not as um, popular as they once were. Shaney B, what's number three? Number three comes from Athens GA. This is a question from Michael about those email notifications for political rallies. Hi, um, curious. Uh, signing up for some of the rallies, and I noticed that when you get when you go to the site to sign up. Most of them are now hiding where it is. They will not reveal where the location is until you actually sign up and put your email in, and then they send you the address and location at the email. Is that indicative of some, I don't know, threats of problems, et cetera? Michael, great question. And the short answer is yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, The candidates and campaigns are very – they can be very secretive about certain rallies. Look, you can't hide a lot of these rallies. They're huge. Some of them are, you know, attract hundreds or even more than a thousand people. But there's a few concerns. One is protesters, demonstrators, uh, security threats. The other is something we call trackers. And those are the folks that are assigned by either the campaigns or the parties or outside groups to track, to literally track the movements and track everything publicly said by their opponents or by their opponents' allies. And so... There was a campaign in 2014, Michelle Nunn was a Democrat running for U.S. Senate against David Perdue, and she was not comfortable on the campaign trail. And her campaign tried to tried to limit and control her campaign appearance as much as possible. And I would get notices to be in Columbus or Macon at like an hour and a half before the event, right? In, in a way that I was like, come on, there's no way I can make it there. I'd have to, I'd have to almost get in a car wreck to make your campaign event because they were so worried about trackers showing up. And then there's other candidates, Governor Kemp is one of them, who just don't care about the trackers. They're like, bring them on. Jason Carter, the Democratic candidate for governor in 2014, his campaign was so close to the tracker, Patricia, that he, he invited the tracker to him to, to, you know, he'd welcome the tracker, he'd call out the tracker in the middle <laughs> of events and folks would give him a round of applause because it's just a fact of life. So we still see the campaigns and the candidates holding their events close to the vest is not as much for the trackers anymore, especially at this point of the campaign, but it is more for, they don't want a huge group of protesters hanging outside. But even so, you know, this earlier on Thursday at Herschel Walker's rally, there was a demonstrator who made his way in to the event and in the middle of Herschel Walker's speech said, Herschel, you're my daddy. I'm your son. And promptly got kicked out. Oh no, that's terrible. I'll also let you know that the press doesn't know where these events are either. So we have to RSVP to an event to get the address back. And I often just RSVP so I can figure out where it is so I can find out if I'm if I have time to get there. Um, so I do feel a little bad. I will RSVP just to get the address. Um, I think some of it also has to do with security. We're seeing more and more security around these candidates. Uh, we see them sometimes arrive in a separate vehicle other than their bus. 
And uh, a lot of that is to, you know, these candidates are getting more threats than they used to, which is a huge shame, but a reality of life. And, um, you know, they're, they have to do things that they really wouldn't have done 10 years ago. Jenny B., what is our fourth and final question? Oh, our final? Shoot, man. I was just getting just getting started. I know. We can do a whole show on this. I love this. We almost could. Let's wrap things up with Ryan. Ryan from Atlanta. He wants to talk to you about something that he noticed about his absentee ballot. Uh, I just got my absentee ballot in the mail, and I noticed that on every single, um, I guess, position that had both Republican and Democrat, the Republican was listed first. And at first I thought maybe it was just a you know matter of incumbents being listed first, but then I also noticed that Warnock was listed second after Walker and that uh, Nakima Williams was uh, listed second after her Republican challenger. So uh, if you have any idea about why the Republicans might be listed first on every position on the ballot, I'd love to hear why. Thanks. Yes, a bill passed the Georgia legislature in 2010 when the Republicans were in charge. And uh, it said that the candidates listed on the ballot will appear in the order of the person who holds the governor's office. They get to they and their party get to go first on the ballot, which is unusual. But now it's the law. There you go. Well, thank you guys all for the questions. We loved answering them and keep them coming. 770-810-5297. Shani B. and his team of devoted, dedicated interns are standing by. So, Patricia, our final segment of the show, and we'll do our who's up and who's down for the week. (laughs) Just keep dancing. Just keep dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Patricia... Who's your who's down for the week? My who's down for the week is Senator Raphael Warnock, um, mostly because Herschel Walker, I feel like, got a little bounce out of that debate that they had last Friday. And I think it literally gave him a little bounce in his step. Herschel Walker is more confident on the campaign trail. Senators who have come in for him, it feels less like a SWAT team rescue mission to try and save this man from himself and more like, oh, Herschel, we can't wait to have you in the Senate and, you know, in three weeks. So it has really, their demeanor has all changed in the last week. And they feel so confident they are being more aggressive toward Raphael Warnock and his campaign. And also Raphael Warnock, I think, has had some stories about Ebenezer and the building that Ebenezer owns and operates for low-income Georgians. And those have just been not great stories. And certainly in the last three weeks of a campaign, those are certainly not the stories that you'd like, and you'd like to be able to, um, you know, to put those to bed very quickly with an answer. And I think we're still looking for some more details from the, from, uh, from Ornock and the church and the campaign on that. So he is my who's down for now. My who's down for this week is Senator Warnock's vanquished opponent, Kelly Leffler, the former senator, who is at the center of all these text messages that were obtained by the AJC and other media outlets you know, it, it's a position, of course, that she, it wasn't like she wanted these text messages out there. But now we are seeing in full view, not just the pressure she faced, but the decisions she made that led to her to agree to Donald Trump's demand that, that she object to Joe Biden's victory and then the aftermath of that. And so uh, for that and for all the reports and all the attention on Kelly Leffler, I would say she's the who's down for the week. Patricia, who's your who's up? 
My who's up is Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, uh, because Brad Raffensperger is not just up for re-election, he is overseeing the election. You know, he doesn't get the same amount of blowback as Brian Kemp got in 2018. That's something that has just occurred to me. Um, however, this election is going quite smoothly so far. Um, early voting is up by record amounts. Georgians are setting all kinds of records for early voting. So far, so good. And they've been very, very pleased with the turnout and the turnout that they've been that they've been able to accommodate. And so um, I think Brad Raffensperger has had a a good several days with the first few days of early voting. And everybody, please thank your poll workers. That is a very difficult and important Amen. job. The unsung heroes of our democracy. My who's up are going to be Latino voters. It was really neat to be at that Wednesday evening event with Lin-Manuel Miranda and a bunch of Senator Warnock supporters um, to see a packed crowd. But also that just reminded me of the Republican efforts too. you know, this was a voting block that has been long ignored or undervalued. And now you're seeing a a political atmosphere when both parties are doing everything it takes, it seems, to energize Latino voters. The RNC has opened up offices geared toward specifically energizing Hispanic voters. And we're certainly seeing Democrats pull out all the stops. So it is very encouraging to see this hugely important population of voters, this, this, this broad community, getting appeals this election cycle. We here at Politically Georgia would like to know what you think of our podcast. We want your feedback. Please click the link in today's episode description and answer a few questions so we'll know how to make this podcast even better. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.